This is a great, great reading that we have today. You see, it, it was foundational in, in, in Catholic and church theology, better yet, I should say, spirituality, the way we talk today. You see, in the early church, not long after the, there was persecutions, they didn't have a lot of people that were martyrs anymore. And there were people who really, really, really wanted, you know, to be close to God. And we've kind of lost some of this. First, I should say, within these people, there, were, there, were, there was kind of a way to see the world, what we'd call a cosmology, from the word cosmos. What, what, what is reality? I mean, they, they really were into this. You'll find this in the catechism. It's not like this is what I'm going to talk about is something new. But their worldview was more than just, you know, Gig Harbor or, you know, Rome or, or any place in the world, Vietnam, Japan, whatever. It was, they, they, they saw the spiritual world. That was always, they understood it always around them. And, and that spiritual world was full of spirits. I mean, besides God. So, you know, angels and demons and whatever. So when, if they were here today, they would ride to church and understand that all the time. It would be nothing for them to think that Mary, the Virgin Mary was sitting next to them in the car. That would be just the way it was. They'd go to bed at night the same way. And so, you know, in order to get into understanding sometimes the gospel, we need to understand that. I mean, it's not like we don't believe it, that there isn't, you know, there isn't devils. I mean, you, you pray to St. Michael or Archangel after Mass. So today, when you got up, God was there. But more than outside of your body, he was inside in a special way. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mind. He knows all of that. One of the great saints said, God made you because he wanted you to love him. That's your purpose. When was the last time you told God you loved him? Yeah, I mean, you might have told your spouse that. Now, hopefully you did. But did you manifest the first commandment with your lives? So let's get back to what I was talking about. So there, there became what in... in, in um, in Christendom at that time, and especially in Egypt, the city of Alexandria, there was a man who had a conversion, and he went, went to church. And this gospel was read, at least the first part, about the rich young man. And he saw himself as the rich young man. And he went home and he sold everything that he had 
any, you know, I'm, I'm cutting this story a little short because we'd be here too long, but he, what, what the long and the short of it was is he moved out into the deserts. His name was Anthony. He's known today as St. Anthony the Great. This was probably about the year 200. And he went out into the desert and he found a cave and he lived in it. And he tried to get away from people because it was to be, he was to be one with God. He was a monk. And that monk, that word monk comes from the Greek word meaning it's monos, one, or alone with, one who is, in, in this sense, one with God. And that's what he wanted. He, f he felt God calling him to do so. And people heard about it. I mean, they really did. I mean, Christians like you, you know. And by the way, not everybody was Christian in Alexandria. There was a lot of bad things happening, a lot of, you know, murders in the streets. Uh, sounds like Seattle, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> every once in a while, I try to get a little joke in there. But, but, it's, but, but in a way, it was. There were some parallels, you know, to some of the stuff that we read in the paper. A lot of sexual stuff going. We have a lot of sexual stuff going on in the internet. Horrible. I mean, stuff that bends people's minds. But that was all going on, you know. I mean, they don't call it the flesh pots of Egypt for nothing. So anyway, these people, they wanted, they wanted to, you know, they really fell in love. And I'm sure God's grace was just working through them to do this. So anyway, then people started going out and seeing, you know, where's this Anthony guy? I've got problems. I need to have talk to him about this or that. And, of course, he would leave that cave and try to get farther away because, you know, these people are taking up all this time and stuff. But anyway, he dies. It, was a, it took a hundred years. I mean, he was one of these guys that really lived a long time. But anyway, you, the St. Athanasius, he was the Archbishop of Alexandria, wrote a story. And that story floated around, all around the Mediterranean, but especially in Egypt. And men started going out. Today, there's new excavations, and we're starting to find out that there were more women out there than men. So they were going out. And they were first living in the, as, as hermits, and then there would be colonies of hermits. I mean, this developed. And, and they would meet on Sunday and have mass. One of them would get ordained and have mass because before that they had to walk into town, and that was quite a walk on Sunday. And then they'd have this big meal, and then they'd go back out and spend the week making baskets. A lot of them made baskets and sold them, so they had, you know, they were, had to have some money, you know, some food and stuff. And they didn't, you know, there was a lot of bread and that they ate. But anyway, I'm getting into all that. So, so and then another guy came along by, by the name of Pacomius, and he solved some of the problems that were coming up with some of these people trying to live by themselves, it's, it's very difficult. 
I mean, you have to be the right kind of a person to be able to sit by yourself or, you know, things can happen. You know, you've got to have a strong sense of yourself. So, because we're, you know, we're so, we're, we're so social. So he started monasteries. So I brought men into his monasteries, and then, of course, the sisters, the, the w women were doing the same. It developed all around, from, from there, all around, uh, you know, up, up from there to the Sinai, which was a hotbed, I'll tell you, for, for people giving their life totally to God, and then up into Palestine, you know, the Holy Land, and then around to what we call Turkey today, especially up kind of in the center at the top. Cappadocia was the, is the area I'm thinking of. And then over to um, Greece. And today we still have these monasteries in Greece, uh, the Orthodox Church with that on Mount Athos. You put, you put that in the internet, I'll tell you, it'll pop up a whole bunch of stuff. And of course in Italy and uh, modern-day France, it was called Gaul at the time, and, and in Spain. And so they were popping up all over the place. And peop people would read these kinds of stories and try to do them perfectly, as well as they could. And, uh, and we still have many of their writings today. Yeah, like I say, there's still a lot of research doing on, on this. Um, um, across the United States. Uh, there's a fella at St. John's Abbey in, in Minnesota that they, he's really done a lot of work uh, on this. So anyway, that's not what's important. We don't care about that, the scholarly stuff, but how can that help us today? How can this do, do this? Well, for one thing, I'm, I'm kind of a, an ancestor of all this stuff. Because what happened, I'm gonna have to regress here a little bit. St. Benedict came along about, well, we have figure he was born in, in 480 AD. He probably wrote his rule around 420 to 430, uh, five, excuse me, 530, 530 years after Christ. And he's, he got a lot of that information out of, out of, your, out of uh, Egypt through a fellow by the name of, who had lived here 100 years before, John Cashin. So anyway, I'm a Benedictine monk, 1,700 years later. But how does, how does this affect you? That's the good question. Because a lot of you are married and you couldn't really just say, we'll see you later, honey. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Lacey. <laughs> we can't do that. And how does it affect you? It's our spirituality, how we live this out. How do we, how do, we do this? Well, let's look at the reading for one moment. Let's go deep into it because you can do this stuff at home. It's called Lexio Divina. So we read about this, this, we call him the rich young man. We, we do not know. We know that he walked away. We don't know if he didn't come back. You know what I mean? He could have said, I'm, okay, I'm going to do it. We don't know that. So we don't, 
We don't know the end of that part of the story. So let's just look. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. The guy says, yes, I did them. He replied, teacher, all of these I observed from my youth. And look at the next line. It's just pivotal in my eyes. It, the way this translation comes in, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, that's a huge sentence. Jesus, in the gospel, looks at people. But a lot of times it's translated gazed. You ever gaze at something? To me, it's a positive, a positive way of looking. I gazed at the beautiful sunset. And I thought good things. I gazed at the beautiful boat that was going out fishing or just going out the sailboat going by. And it reminded me, I'm Father Paul. I was born in, in Mount Vernon. I used to go out in the San Juans. It would remind me of the good times on those boats, the friends that had them. Jesus gazes at people in the gospel of Mark. He does it when we're picking the people like Peter and the people in the shores of the Sea of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and they're on their boats. He gazes at them before he calls them. It's almost like he, bla he blesses the, him with his eyes because it follows he loved him. You have that on a wall out here. I knew you before I made you. Jeremiah, first chapter. I saw it on your wall on the coming into the church. It would be on your left-hand side. A little plaque. That's God. That's God right now. He's, gazed, he's gazing on your heart, and he wants it. And then he tells this poor guy, and I say he's poor, but even though he's rich with money, he's still poor. You are lacking in one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor. Anthony took that seriously. But only more than we can probably do ourselves many times. I took it seriously. I joined a monastery at 41. But what he would really need to do is, is put God first and not money. That's the trick. It still is my trick. It still is for me. Because I can, I can pick up a magazine and go through it in a day and say, boy, I like to have that, and I like to have that, and I like that, and spend more time with that than I can spend in prayer. I can go into Amazon and do that. 
And if you do give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, he tells him. And then he says, follow me. I think you followed me in because you drove here today. But there's always room to grow, isn't there? I bet I'll, I'll bet, because I've sat out there, because I'd be at 41, you know, I had to sit out there for a while too, you know. And these are the kinds of things that I knew when I was sitting in Mass in Mount Vernon, Washington, before I joined the monastery, there was more that I wanted and there was more that I had to do. I'm not there. I still am not. I'll be 75 in January. I want purity of heart. You know why I want purity of heart? Because I want more graces. You know what happened? Look and listen to what happened to this poor guy. Jesus told him after he said, follow me. At that state, statement, his face fell. Have you ever had that happen? You must have. When your children didn't live up to your expectations, parents always go. Well, the kids do too when the parents do don't live up their expectations. I mean, it doesn't have to be parents and all that. It can be all kinds of things. So that, I, to me, that just grips me. The guy's face fell. And he walked away. Like I say, I don't know. He probably came back. But, but the thing is, is, yes, we know those feelings. And maybe... Maybe that's why we're here today, huh? To grow in the image and likeness of God. In a little while, you're going to receive the Eucharist. At the beginning of Mass, we had the penitential rite to get the things out of the way so we can more deeply accept or bring in allow into us the Eucharist. In the second reading, we heard about that knife that was, you know, it's, it's a metaphor that cuts both ways, and it talked about the marrow. What's going to happen is, is that the flesh of Jesus is going to enter you, and it's it's, it's eternal. It doesn't rot away in the tomb. It's forever. And you're going to take that in your body and it's going to get as far down into the marrow of your bones. Because biologically, that's what happens when food goes, goes in your mouth, right? It digests and goes into your bloodstream. That's the body of Christ. And if you're open to it, he gives, you know, we have this, this thing called free will. 
you know, we, we talk about freedom like it's, you know, we got, oh, I, I have a right to do this, I got a right to do that. Hey, freedom is given to you by God is, is for you to, to be open and turn on your own will to the grace of God that's coming in your life. That's why, that's why we have original sin because that was the story of Adam and Eve. They, they did their own darn up on will. That's to tell us that you got to follow God's will and what he wants. And what he wants most is to, for you to love him with your whole heart, your whole soul, in your whole mind. And I know, and I'm being honest with you, I, 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 I don't always do that. That's why I keep trying. In my desert, in my monastery, and I call you to do the same.